So first things first, listeners, I want to give you the heads up that there are going to be some pretty nasty things that I talk about in this episode. I am going to give a trigger warning right before we get to the really grisly stuff. Wow. (laughs) What an introduction. We're talking about fairy tales, if that wasn't clear. Yeah. No, I just want to give the trigger warning ahead of time. On to the actual introduction. Yeah. Hi, everyone. My name's Carmen Thorley. My name's Audrey Stratton. This is Kitten Whiskers and Kanye. A podcast where we talk about the history and take a not too deep look at our favorite things. (laughs) This week, we're talking about fairy tales. Audrey is taking the lead on this one. Yeah. We're talking about fairy tales today because when I was a kid, I read like all the time. All the time. Like I was one of those Matilda type kids where I was just like... (laughs) Seriously, I would go to the school library like two or three times a day during our free time, like just absolutely crazy reading all the time. So yeah, I read pretty much everything, but as I got older, like about 10 years old or so, I started taking an interest in historical fiction, and I'm not sure if that was just something that I like naturally kind of gravitated towards, or if it's because that's what my mom tended to give me. Hmm. But specifically, I got a lot of those books about, like, girls my age, you sure. know, starting with, like, the American Girl books. Oh, Do my you remember gosh. those? Yeah. Did you own those dolls? <laughs> I didn't own the dolls because they were, like, crazy They were expensive. so expensive. We had oh one of them. Um, but we loved the books. We, we mm-hmm. really did. That was such a fun craze. <laughs> it really was. I wonder if it's still going. I'm sure it is. It's just not really in our, you know, age yeah, g- sure. group anymore. But I remember getting the catalogs. Did you ever get the catalogs? No. (laughs) Oh, no. Oh, my gosh. So they sent out these catalogs that were like... I mean, they had like all of the dolls and they had the clothes for the girls. And then sometimes they were like, hey, this is part of the new upcoming adventure for (laughs) Samantha. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) So, but no, I did own a lot of the books. Yeah. Um, And from there, it kind of spread to the Dear America books. Mm -hmm. Uh, If you ever read any of those. Mm -mm. So those were books that were written in a journal style. So I remember there was one about an Irish immigrant who worked in factories in like Boston. So, you know, real cheery. Yeah, real good child (laughs) literature. Super, super. (laughs) No, they sanitized a lot of the historical accuracies, (laughs) the realities of of being a child laborer in factories. So, I mean, this led you, this led you into fairy tales somehow? Oh, yeah. Kind of along the same line of the Dear America books, there was a series that was very similar to that based off of princesses. So if you could imagine if Cleopatra had a journal, there was a book written based off of Cleopatra and her teenage years. Hmm. There was one written about, from the perspective of Marie Antoinette and like her marriage to Louis XIV and what life was like for her both in Austria and then in France. And I was really fascinated by that as a child. And naturally princesses kind of lead right into fairy tales right they're uh they're staple yeah yeah so it goes from historical royalty to fictional royalty and from fictional royalty it goes from 
you know, princesses to fantasy. Right. So yeah, I've been reading fantasy in one form or another ever since. Uh, And as it turns out, it's really hard to get into fantasy without also spending a lot of time dealing with fairy tales. Yeah, that's fair. I mean, and when I think of fairy tales, I automatically think of Disney and I think of Cinderella and Little Mermaid and lots of happy memories watching those, right? Um, But you have expressed that you wanted to specifically focus this episode on non-Disney fairy tales or like... (laughs) The, you know, the unedited versions of fairy tales that Disney has taken and turned into something completely different. Yeah, it's it's not that I have anything against Disney movies. And in fact, I love Disney movies. Mm-hmm. And I have like this weird brain function where I can remember a whole bunch of useless stuff, including like the approximate year that every Disney animated film came out. Yeah, that's a little weird. Uh, <laughs> I mean, it'd be useful on, you know, Jeopardy, perhaps. <laughs> Yeah, very specific niche, approximate Jeopardy. I would play that game, approximate (laughs) Jeopardy. (laughs) What year did we land on the moon? Uh, What is about... uh, About... Like, it was almost 1970, I think. (laughs) The year before. (laughs) Actually, what it is, is that I'm becoming increasingly disappointed with the fact that Disney has decided to spend a lot of resources and money on doing these live action remakes of these princess films Hmm. instead of like spending those resources on telling new stories. You know, we've talked about this at uh, work and I, I have the same frustration that like new ideas aren't coming out. You know, I, I think, I think you were the one that told me that maybe 80% of the movies coming out within the next few years are sequels or like the third in a series or something. Mm -hmm. And Man, I understand I understand the nostalgia that comes with, you know, old Disney cartoons and them being remade into something a little bit more modern and but it is a little bit annoying that they are so obsessed with old things. So yeah, it's kind of interesting that they have this almost fascination with some of their old franchises given the history of Disney animated studios and I'm going to be talking about Disney a lot for an episode where I want to talk about non-Disney fairy tales, but I think it's kind of important to understand the influence that Disney has had on our perception of fairy tales before we get into the non-Disney fairy tales. There's a couple of reasons why they're redoing uh, a lot of their movies and doing the live action remakes. And I think the first reason to address is actually also the most complex one to address, because in order to understand why they're remaking so many movies, you have to take a look at the ones specifically that they're remaking, and you have to see where they land on the timeline of the studio's history. Uh The history of Walt Disney Animated Studios is actually a really fascinating one, and one that I could probably actually spend a whole podcast talking about. (laughs) Like, honestly, it took me probably a total of about four hours of just, like, reading through the history and trimming it down, like, to try and put into about five yeah. minutes of this podcast. Yeah, it's a big franchise. I have Yeah, I have pages and pages and pages of history typed up, and I have to choose, like, five sentences out of it. Right. Ugh. And I mean, and some of that history is not super tasteful either, is it? Actually, most of it is really upsetting. Yeah, that's so, that's so weird to think about. No, but it's, it's just, it's crazy for, like, for the company whose tagline for their amusement park is the happiest place on earth you look at the company as a whole and specifically disney animated studios and it's not a happy history at all Hmm. 
basically from 1943, when its first feature-length animated movie was released, which most people know as Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. That's right. Up to about 1987. 1987, Disney Animation Studios was not particularly profitable for the company as a whole. In fact, there were a couple of times where the president of the company considered shutting the animation studios down, just completely getting rid of it. That's um, weird. I feel like I feel like that's the time period where like the most maybe save a few, but the most memorable Disney movies were made. <laughs> okay. We're actually going to play a game here. Okay. To prove a point. Ooh, okay. About about that first five, what, five decades? Four decades of yeah. Disney Animation Studios. Round one, really quick. Name five movies that Disney Animated Studios released before 1989. Uh, Snow White, Cinderella, um, Rescuers Down Under? Nope. That no? was a 90s movie. Shoot. Uh... I'm guessing Aladdin was 90s. I'm guessing... I'm... Okay. I, I'm i bad at this, too, because I wasn't a mega Disney... Ooh, Aristocats. Yes. That's okay. One. That so was my three. favorite. That was my favorite <laughs> Disney movie when I was young. Um, Fantasia? Nope. Yes. Yes. Yeah, that is an officially animated studios. <laughs> one more. Um, I'm trying to think of your... Uh, Sleeping Beauty. Sleeping Beauty, yeah. Okay. Quintessential princess movies. Yes. The reason why it may seem a little difficult to do that and why you got a couple wrong is actually the studio only averaged about two movies a decade between 43 and 87. Oh, wow. Yeah. That doesn't seem real. (laughs) No. I don't know. It doesn't seem real. All right. So now round two for the game. Name five animated movies Disney released between 1989 and 1999. Okay. This one seems easier. Um, Hercules, mm-hmm. uh, Mulan, yep. Um, Tarzan, yep. Pocahontas, yes. And of course, Beauty and the Beast. Of course, <laughs> yes. All right. So the reason why round two of this game is a little bit easier is because of what a lot of film historians will call the Disney Renaissance. The Renaissance was really important for Disney because in about 1986 or so, the studio was handed over to a bunch of people who said, we need to change the culture of the studio. We need to really put an emphasis on the vision that Walt Disney had when he first started the studio. We're going to release a movie every single year. Hmm. So it actually kind of started with The Great Mouse Detective, Oh, wow. Yeah. And Oliver and Company was the next. Right. And then that's when we get to The Little Mermaid. Uh-huh. And The Little Mermaid was kind of like the true start of the Disney Renaissance. Right. After that period of about 10 years, and actually the Renaissance really only lasted for about five years. Mm-hmm. After about uh, The Lion King or so, Disney started to see a little bit of a slump in the profitability of their movies again. So you say five years, but so it... They must have come out with more than one movie a year then, right? So, no, actually, Disney did release about one movie a year until we hit the year 2000. And actually, at the year 2000, the slump just kind of continued a little bit further. So, for round three of the game, Mm -hmm. name three movies that the studio released between 2000 and 2010. Um, The first one that comes to mind is Princess and the Frog. Mm -hmm. Um, Do things like Tangled count? 
Tangled is 2010, so that does count. It's started. I, I don't know. It's starting to get less into like the classic animation and more into 3D animation. Mm-hmm, exactly. Um, I'm gonna cheat and say Fantasia 2000. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, ooh, I can't do it. It's hard. I don't know. I feel. I don't know. I feel like they've been as prevalent of a like presence as ever, but I really can't think of anything super recent. Yeah, the period between 2000 and 2010 saw movies like The Emperor's New Groove. Oh, how is, could I forget that one? That's the most underrated Disney movie of all time. It's one of my favorites. Oh it my absolutely gosh. is. It's one of those where I could probably quote it in about any given situation. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, very, very quotable. We also saw Atlantis, The Lost Empire. Okay. Treasure Planet. Okay, so you've got some weirder... Yeah, this was kind of the weird period where, like, they were kind of wrapping up the traditional cell animation, and they were trying to move a little bit closer to having the 3D animation be their primary yeah. art form. Well, and the stories themselves, too, seem... I mean, I won't, I won't say they seem bigger, but they seem a little bit more, like... I don't yeah. know how to explain it. And I'm actually going to address that in just like two seconds here because I know exactly what you're trying to say. Cool. And I am going to answer your question. Perfect. But I want to finish this list okay, because yeah. you're going to be like, oh yeah, the movie Dinosaur was a thing. Oh. <laughs> that was supposed to be such a big deal. I remember the soundtrack was the soundtrack was really, really good. I I don't remember anything about that movie. Yeah, no, I don't either. I remember at the beginning, the conflict was here's a dinosaur. He wishes he could be like the monkeys. <laughs> I didn't even retain that much. <laughs> he wants to be like the monkeys. Yep. I'm not even sure that they existed at the same time, so it's uh, historical accuracy. It's questionable, I think. Uh, the animation was like new and yeah. special, so who so cares about the shtick, Yeah, the shtick with that was supposed to be that it was computer animation against real-life backgrounds. Yeah. So they went out to all these exotic locations, and they got all of these beautiful sweeping shots of the landscape, and they put the animation on top of that. I honestly don't remember that. Me neither. I didn't know that. Granted, I was only 11 years old, but that's something that you think would kind of stick out as being like, oh, wow, this is really cool. Oh, nobody remembers dinosaurs. Yeah, I had no idea that that was a thing. I thought it was all... Because I remember seeing the trailer for that and, you know, the egg, like, going through its whole Mm -hmm. journey or whatever. And I remember the animation... I remember it being really beautiful, but I remember the animation being just that tiny bit off, you know, because they hadn't mastered that kind of 3D thing like they have now. But I remember it kind of just making my eyes go wonky, but in comparison with the background, it... I mean, the background, the backdrops were beautiful. Yeah, yeah. Uh, super memorable, so apparently. Here's <laughs> it seems like at this point they were just, like, churning out stuff just for the sake of creating stuff, you know? Yeah, so again, a lot of it had to do with the fact that they were trying to switch over from cell animation to computer animation. Yeah. So they were wrapping up all of those projects, and that included Home on the Range and Treasure Planet. Lilo and Stitch was... Yeah. It was successful enough that I think that they just looked at it and they were like, yeah, no, let's go ahead and do this. Yeah. Which I, oh man, I love that movie yeah, so much. Yeah, that's a great movie too. That's, I, that's up there with Emperor's New Groove, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Just kind of two unfortunate victims of this <laughs> like eight year period where everything else yeah. was just like, ah, they're the shining stars. <laughs> they rose above. Bolt is also on the list. Never saw that, but kind of the same idea. Mm-hmm. And then last on the list is Brother Bear. Oh my gosh. 
That one wasn't 3D. No, it wasn't 3D. It was one of the last yeah. cell animation projects to get wrapped up. That's... I, I also have no memory. Like, I, I remember seeing it, but it just does not stand out at all. Yeah. Yeah, so you can see Disney slump when it started just really kind of kept on slumping down yeah. and down and down. They needed to figure out what made the Renaissance movie so popular. And they figured out a handful of things, but I think the two or three big things that they figured out was, first of all, uh, action films are really difficult to do well, which, going back to that question that you didn't quite ask Mm -hmm. with Treasure Planet and Atlantis, they tried to do a really action-heavy film, and neither performed particularly well at the box office because neither had a huge emphasis on the comedy aspect of the movie. Okay. They wanted to do something that was a little bit... Uh, I'm going to say gritty, but that's being generous to Disney, I get I what, Yeah, I get what you mean, though. Something like that to be taken a little bit more seriously than like a yeah. goofy Disney movie. Yeah. It's not to say that it can't be done, because they did pull it off most recently with Big Hero 6. Oh, yes. But they figured that the action in their movies kind of had to be a part of the plot and not just a consequence of the story. Right. Which is kind of the trap that Treasure Planet and Atlantis fell into, which was... At their heart, they're not really action stories, but they did want to make them an action story. So it so kind, of kind of had like a, a mist. Yeah. Whereas obviously with Big Hero 6, it's about superheroes. So of course action is going to be part of the the plot there. I love that movie so much. I love it too. Oh my gosh. It's one of the cute... <laughs> I don't think I've ever laughed harder in a in a movie, actually. It's that... Oh my gosh. I want a Baymax I, I want I want a Baymax nurse with me all the time. Yeah. Well, and then all of the characters too. Like, I want to be best friends with Honey Lemon. Oh, just like straight is, up. She is the coolest person. Did you know that she has Mexican heritage? Yeah, I did. And it's interesting that they didn't make it like a a point of her character. But there's like this little detail where that I don't know if he's a stoner dude. He totally seems like a stoner dude, but he's like Mikasa, tu casa. That means welcome to my humble abode. And she's like, no, no it didn't really. <laughs> yeah, no. So I love that she has that Mexican heritage, and they don't like make it a joke or anything. Yeah, I love, and I don't know if you noticed this, but I know you can relate as a fellow tall woman. I love that she is tall, and she just straight up wears like platform heels. Anyway. Yeah, way. Yeah, she's like, if I'm going to be tall, I'm going to be tall. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, it's definitely a small part of like a recent change in my own attitude towards wearing high heels. Yeah. Where and it's so funny because like I shouldn't be so influenced by a fictional animated character. No, but, but it. I looked at that and I was like, well, shoot, if like this chick can do it, yeah, I can absolutely do it. But like and, as silly as it sounds, it just feels it. It feels just kind of nice to be represented and be like, oh, she's tall and she like enjoys being tall and she wants to show people she's tall like maybe I can do that too yeah you know? yeah go ahead and buy that cute pair of shoes yeah you I still it. I still have yet to get there I still am very uncomfortable with my height but you know look to yeah. look to honey lemon for inspiration I suppose <laughs> I do yeah I look at myself in the mirror every day and I think what would honey what lemon would honey do, do? <laughs> wwhld <laughs> That doesn't really roll off the tongue, does no, it? No, it doesn't. It sounds a little um, well, naughty, yeah, actually. We'll, we'll make bracelets so we don't have to say it. Yeah. <laughs> sounds good. Okay, so yeah, action was kind of an issue, and I think they addressed it and they fixed it with Big Hero 6. The second thing that they figured out, and you'll notice that this is sorely lacking from those 2000-era movies, 
is that Broadway-style musicals worked out extremely well for them. Mm-hmm. Um, and it just kind of disappeared after, you know, 1999 or so. I really noticed the Broadway kind of inspiration or that they brought back the Broadway inspiration with Frozen and Tangled. The whole, the whole layout of those movies is like in acts and they all break out in song and opportune moments and stuff like that. Right, yeah, yeah. The, the plot is just kind of going along and then all of a sudden, oh, hey! A song! A song! <laughs> Even when they probably shouldn't, you know, don't belong, they just kind of threw one in there because they can. I know. Well, and I've watched Frozen enough times now that, like, now, I love Frozen. Yeah. I love Frozen. I have not gotten tired of the fact that, like, it's just everywhere all the time. I saw it, like, three times in the It's theaters. a good movie. It's really good. But, like, as I've been watching it more and more, I actually realized that, like, the climax of the first act, which is Elsa singing Let It Go, it's its own scene. Mm-hmm. There's no follow-up and there's no, like... It's just by itself, and it's a great song, and oh, it's yeah. a great scene. But, like, they just kind they of just found a place to just stick it right in there. And Here boy, did they, yeah, they reap the benefits for that one. Yeah. Still are. <laughs> oh, yeah. They started including more Broadway-style music into their movies, and then finally, they saw the success of a campaign launched in the early 2000s and decided to capitalize on that. This campaign is, of course, the Disney Princess line of products. It started with Snow White, Cinderella, Aurora, Ariel, Belle, Jasmine, Pocahontas, Mulan, and Tinkerbell. And they did eventually drop Tinkerbell as they decided that it was time mm. to start adding some, some more princesses. Yeah. Which they have. They, they've they added Tiana, Rapunzel, and Merida. Surprisingly, actually, neither Elsa nor Anna have officially been added. Oh, um, wow. Yeah. It's, I'm not sure if it's like they don't know how to include two at once. Yeah. Which like, would they just pick one? That would seem kind of like, yeah. that would seem kind of wrong. But just do it, guys. Just do it. Yeah, just add them both. Just they, add them. they can both be in there. Yeah. Moana hasn't been added either, but I think it's more of a matter of time. Oh, yeah. Before that she's one's really recent. In. Yeah. Add all of these things that they figured out together, and what do you get? You get the decision to start making princess movies again. And I don't know if you remember the marketing for The Princess and the Frog, but it was a big freaking deal. They it were was like, a big deal. This is the first princess movie since the late 90s. Yeah. And it didn't release until like, what was it, 2009, 2010? Something like that, Something. I remember. That was a really good one too. Incredible yeah. music. And I just think a more unique setting than most other Disney movies I've seen. Like, I, I, I don't think there's another movie that focuses so much on like the jazz aspect of, a, yeah. of the, you know, the history of jazz in America. Maybe Aristocats a little bit, but I really, really liked The Princess and the Frog. It was a great like start to the comeback of princesses. Yeah, and this is where we see the resurgence of Disney. So we got The Princess and the Frog. We have Tangled, Frozen. We also saw movies like, again, Big Hero 6. Mm-hmm. Uh, Wreck-It Ralph <laughs> is also on the list of the resurgence Does that count movies. as a princess movie? <laughs> uh, no. No, <laughs> that's fair. <laughs> but to be fair, Disney hasn't always done princess films. Right. It's just that we've seen quite a surge of Disney princess film since Disney realized that that's like, what sells. this is a formula mm-hmm. that works for us. Moana, obviously. And we're actually going to be seeing a sequel to Frozen in the next few years. So we're going to get... Sequels bug me so much. <laughs> 
They were, they bugged me so much. I think the only acceptable sequel I've ever seen or the sequels were the Toy Story sequels. <laughs> yeah. Now we're going to bring it back to the original question. Why is Disney doing live action films instead of putting time and money into new stories? Yeah. And the answer is actually really simple. All the people who grew up on the Renaissance movies and the Disney princess line are now grown up, have money to go see these movies they're super nostalgic for, and in a lot of cases, even have families themselves that they can go take to the movies. I really, I, I really understand that, and I really respect that you would want to share. Like, Beauty and the Beast, the animated movie, was like this huge deal when it came out. It was a really special movie, really good music, and I understand wanting to share that kind of, you know, wonder with your children and stuff. I guess I just don't understand why not just, well, I do understand why not just watch the old one. It's, it's about making new, making new things and getting more people to the theaters, right? Yeah. 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 So with all these remakes coming out and even with, you know, the original Disney movies that were based on fairy tales, which Disney movie would you say is the most faithful to the original fairy tale it was based on? It's a good question, and it's surprisingly easier to answer than which is the most changed, mm -hmm. because Snow White and the Seven Dwarves cuts out just a little bit of the original story to make room for music, but for the most part, it doesn't really try to sanitize a lot of the icky parts, Yeah, like the queen wanting the huntsman to kill Snow White, for example. Right. Like, that's just still completely left in. Yeah. Pretty dark themes. Yeah, it's got some dark themes. I think the the evil queen is probably one of my favorite classic Disney villains. Because yeah. Because she just, like, goes for it. Oh, yeah. She's like, I haven't been able to kill her yet, so I'm going to take my beauty, which is what this whole thing is about. Oh, my gosh. I'm going to get rid of it. I'm going to become an ugly old hag. Yeah. And she is going down. The ultimate sacrifice, really. <laughs> she was in it to win it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and in the original tale, Snow White does eat the apple. Mm -hmm. She's put in this glass coffin. A prince sees her and kisses her, and when he kind of moves her around a little bit, that's when the apple actually becomes dislodged from her throat, and she wakes up. Oh, so it wasn't, it wasn't necessarily like true love's kiss that woke her up. No, not no, really. Just consequential. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay, interesting. Can you imagine if, like... Dopey had done that, like, and he like kisses her, and then oh my gosh, it was me, it was me all along. Yeah. I was here waiting for you, Snow. Yeah, but yeah, as I mentioned, there's a lot of tales that Disney has like really changed a whole lot. Yeah, they'd have to, I guess. Yeah, the one that they changed the most is actually Frozen. Um, Frozen was a real fairy tale. Yeah, it's based off of the tale of the Snow Queen, and. The similarities between the Disney version and the original fairy tale basically end at a queen with snow powers lives in an ice castle in the mountains. Like, that's pretty much the only similarities. The original tale is not about two sisters. It's actually about a brother and a sister who... The brother gets taken to the ice castle and the sister has to go retrieve him from this evil ice witch, basically. So the ice witch isn't Elsa. Like, she's in the Elsa we know. Right, yeah. Like, Elsa is that character, but not All right. the villain. Yeah, I understand. Yeah. It's honestly the most changed. And it's actually kind of opened up doors to Disney taking these tales, these fairy tales or these folk tales, and basically just taking a concept and then making it their own. Mm -hmm. And even before that, like with 
the princess and the frog, they changed that a whole lot because originally the story is about a princess who owes a debt to a frog, mm-hmm. and so she has to like bring him into the castle and treat him like royalty, and he keeps on asking for a kiss, and she's like, ew, no, you're gross. Um, hell no. <laughs> <laughs> um, and she eventually does, and huh, turns out he's a prince the whole time. I do like Disney's take on it. Yeah. I, I really liked that movie, but the point is that they changed a whole lot of it. Same thing with Rapunzel. Tangled is a really, really great movie, but if you kept in a lot of the original material, it would be a much darker tale. Well, yeah, you know, so they do have to change these fairy tales to be, so that they can be viewed by children. Mm -hmm. I would be super interested in a studio that makes, I mean, it'd be hard, it'd be really hard movies to make and hard movies to watch, but like in a studio that just sticks to a T, to the original, what mm-hmm. that would look like, how, you know, happy and fairy tale like they'd be then. <laughs> <laughs> not Ugh. very. Not very at all, yeah. huh? Brothers Grimm comes to mind. Ooh, yeah. So let's talk about Brothers Grimm for a little bit. Okay. They are mm, kind of the reason, actually, why Disney is both very, very successful, but also why they have to start remaking a lot of these movies. Hmm. Because. A lot of the fairy tales in their fairy tale book fall into... I'm going to divide it up into three categories as to why Disney cannot make these tales. Okay. (laughs) The first category is that the story might be too boring or too similar to existing tales. These are tales that usually only have the sole purpose of teaching a moral lesson. Mm -hmm. So the plot is the secondary or even like the tertiary focus after the resolution in the characters. Right. These stories are usually very short as a consequence and making a movie off of them would be more challenging than it's worth. Right. Which is why they have a whole entire movie based on the brothers Grimm in general. And I mean, I know that's, I don't know if that's Disney or not, but it's like, it's a whole movie about all the tales. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's not Disney, but it's still a really fun one to watch. It's a really good one. I like watching it. So one really great example of this category would be the tale of the three ugly fairies. Once upon a time, there was a very lazy girl uh, given to a nobleman by her mother to either be wed to his son or to be executed for her laziness. Oh, what a oh, what a hard choice. <laughs> um, so to determine whether or not she would be executed, she is given the task by the nobleman to spin a bunch of wool into thread. And it's kind of like a Rumpelstiltskin yeah, situation that's... where like she's locked into a room And she's given all this wool, and she's told, hey, when we come back in the morning, we expect to see a whole bunch of thread. Or else. She is still lazy throughout this, and she is unwilling to spin the wool into thread. So three fairies, one with a large flat foot, one with a swollen lip, and one with a swollen thumb, come and tell her that if she invites them to the wedding, they will spin for her. She agrees, and they get all the work done for her and leave before the noblemen come back. Pleased with the work the girl has apparently done, the nobleman blesses the marriage between her and his son. True to her word, the girl invites the three fairies, and when they appear, they explain to the nobleman's son that their deformities have come from spinning the wool into thread by operating, like, the spinning wheel and by, like, twisting the thread. Right. Like, one has the flat foot from having to, like, press the pedal from the spinning wheel. And right. one has a swollen lip because you have to, like, wet the wool a little bit with your mouth. Right. And one has the swollen thumb because of, like, wrapping the... and Yeah. You know, twisting the, the wool. Not wanting his wife to become deformed, 
the man decides that he never wants his wife to work ever again. Oh, what a deal. <laughs> so, like, lesson learned, I guess? Yeah, the le- yeah. Okay, so first of all, they said that those... I thought those were pre-existing conditions. <laughs> nope, they come onto the scene and they're like, hey, guess what? Because she followed her word, like, we're going to reward her by showing off all of these deformities that we have from spinning wool into thread. Yeah, this is what happens when your wife is a hard worker. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, what is the moral of that? The moral of the story is, if you are true to your word, which the girl was true to her word... She invited the... She invited them to the wedding despite their ugliness. I know, disgusting, right? Yeah, disgusting. But yeah, like... She invites them despite their ugliness, so they reward her by making sure that she never has to work again. Wow. Like, it's so bizarre to me because there are so many tales that are like, here's the value of hard work. And this one turns around and is like, you can be lazy as long as you're true to your word. Yeah, as long as you, you know, you just follow through with, <laughs> with your commitments. <laughs> I don't know. I'm, I, guess, I guess I'm okay with that one. <laughs> If I follow through with my commitments, I don't have to, I don't have to do any chores, right? <laughs> that doesn't seem like a moral I'd be wanting to teach my children, uh, No, not really. The second reason why Disney wouldn't adapt a tale is because some tales are just too confusing. Just really, really super confusing. Like what? There's a tale called The Lindworm. I actually really, really like this tale, but it is very confusing. Once upon a time. Of course. There was a king and a queen who couldn't have any kids. The queen, distraught at her situation, goes out for a walk one day, and she happens upon a witch who asks her, Queen, why do you seem so sad? The queen tells the witch, well, I don't think you'd understand. And the witch says, try me. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So the queen tells the witch, I cannot bear any children. And the witch says, I have a solution for that. Of course she does. (laughs) Take this cup. Go to your royal gardens, turn the cup upside down, and leave it overnight. In the morning... (laughs) That makes sense. Yeah. (laughs) I know you can't see this, listeners, but Carmen just, like, rolled her eyes because, like... Well, it's because, like, with with witches, like, they're so hit or miss. (laughs) You never know if you have a good witch or a bad witch. And when they give you advice, it's always, like, it's something that I seriously, they just pull out of thin air. Go put this cup upside down, trust me. I'm a witch. Trust me on this one. (laughs) So the witch continues to say, go back in the morning and lift up the cup. And under the cup, you will see a blood red rose and a snow white rose. If you eat the blood red rose, you will bear a son. If you eat the snow white rose, you will bear a daughter. But only eat one. I was about to say I'd eat both. (laughs) Absolutely, I would. Hey, Carmen. What? The queen eats both. Of course she does! (laughs) She eats the Snow White Rose, and it is so sweet and it is so delicious that she forgets everything that the the witch said, and she eats the Red Rose. Mm -hmm. Well, nine months later, she's bearing a child. Out pops a son. Mm -hmm. Hooray! Yay! But then out pops this horrible, horrible monster called the Lindworm. It's like not even human. Oh, The king is away at this point when she's giving birth. Uh So she tells her servants, take this lindworm out into the forest, get rid of it. I don't want it. It is not my child. I want this beautiful baby boy instead. 
Now, was Lindworm, is that like a monster of lore? Or is it a name that this like fairy tale came up with itself? So Lindworm is a type of dragon. It's basically just another word for a specific a type of dragon. Yeah, it's got Norse and British okay. roots. Yeah. So fast forward about 18, 19 years. The prince is ready to marry. Mm-hmm. And the king and queen are like, yeah, we want the prince to marry. Like, we want him to be happy. We want to build up political alliances if possible. Well, they announce that the prince is ready to marry. And this lindworm comes on the scene and says, no bride for you until a bride for me. And the king is like, what (laughs) is this? And the queen is like, oh, Oh, yeah, the king has no (laughs) ass. This This is is ours. This is ours. (laughs) That's pretty horrifying. (laughs) So the king and queen keep on trying to find a bride for this lindworm. And every time the wedding happens and they get to the wedding night, the lindworm eats the princess that it had just married. Well, I mean, yeah, it's like, what else is it going to do? It's a lindworm. (laughs) Yeah, it's awful. (laughs) The king and queen uh, kind of have to start narrowing down their choices and they end up approaching a farmer that lives in their kingdom, and they say, will you let your daughter marry our child? Asterisk. (laughs) And the farmer is naturally not very happy about this, but agrees, and the daughter agrees, although she is also very upset. Yeah, what a champ. She runs out (laughs) into the woods, and who does she run into? The lindworm. <gasps> the witch, the very same? The very same witch. Oh and gosh. the witch is like, what's upsetting you, child? Oh, no. And she says, I don't think you'd understand. And the witch says, try, try me. me. <laughs> the farmer's daughter gives the spiel, and the witch says, okay, I know how to fix this. Oh, and great. she tells the girl how to fix it. The girl gets married to the lindworm. They end up in the lindworm's bedchambers for the wedding night. And before they get there, the farmer's daughter asks for a bunch of really unusual things. She asks for 10 petticoats. Petticoats. And she wears all 10 of them. Oh. And she asks for a whip. And she asks for a barrel of lye. And she asks for a barrel of milk. Oh, dear. They get to the bedchamber and the lindworm says, shed a layer. So she takes off one of her petticoats, and she tells the lindworm, I've shed a layer, now you shed a layer. So the lindworm does. And I'm going to be honest, I don't know what this means for the lindworm to shed a layer. Like, is it molting? I guess. (laughs) So this happens ten times. She gets down to her last petticoat, and then she picks up the whip, she dunks it in the lye, and she just goes to town on the lindworm. Oh, man. Just beats the lindworm to crap. And then she takes the milk and, like, just upends it on the lindworm and, like, washes it off. And then they go to sleep. Wow, what a... And when they wake up in the morning, instead of a lindworm, there is a handsome prince. Of course there is! And they lived happily ever after the end. It made sense. What the hell? Okay, well, the the other thing that the other the thing that really weirds me out is that there's like a a witch walking around like just she's not doesn't seem like a bad guy no but she's just walking around just 
offering her help to random people. And with really big consequences too, like this Lindworm just, I'm really, I'm really glad it has a happy ending. Yeah. You know, but man, those witches, you got to look out for them. That's the weirdest thing I've ever heard of. Right? Can you imagine like a bunch of animators sitting down and like trying to, where do we start? Like, how do you even start unpacking this? Oh man. What would the Lind, I, oh man, I guess you did say it was kind of like dragon-like. I, I, yeah, where would you even start with that? <laughs> even if you needed to just draw just a tiny bit of inspiration from it, you know, what mm-hmm. part of that do you want to incorporate in a child's movie? <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, you can try and give it the frozen treatment, but like, what? At that point, it's not, you couldn't even say it's based off of the story. Because right. you could just say, oh, a witch approaches uh, someone who's in trouble, you know, and sure. she helps them out. Yeah, or based like, off of the lindworm, you know the the dragon prince, or like just like what do you choose and what do you like? How do you go from there? Yeah, where you're not incorporating all of these other weird nonsensical aspects of this. Like tale. how weird would it have been just to have a scene of just she and the lindworm taking off layer after layer, and then all of a sudden she just attacks him with a whip. <laughs> It's just the natural course of things. <laughs> yeah. So I do actually like the tale a lot. Yeah. But holy crap, it does not make a whole lot of sense. That's a weird one. And yeah. That's a weird one for sure. So no Disney adaptation for that one. No. <laughs> no. And there's a lot. <laughs> yeah. There's a lot of tales that are just like really, really confusing. Uh, a lot of it is because some tales are very, very old, mm-hmm. and some of them were either passed on orally until written down by someone many decades later, or they were based off of a single picture. Usually the Brothers Grimm, and this is actually something that the Brothers Grimm did a lot, where they looked at a picture and they were like, oh, there's a tale there, and they just made it up and put it down on paper. Yeah, just drawing drawing inspiration yeah. out of nowhere. That's pretty cool. So add to that like cultural disconnects and time and multiple translations or mistranslations. And you end up with a story that's just like almost incomprehensible. Yeah. Like you end up with tales where you're not quite sure who the protagonist is or who the villain is, or if there even is a villain. And you end up with a lot of story elements where you're not quite sure why they're even there. Like, What's the deal with the milk and the lie and the what? Like, I like just, is there some sort of symbolism? I, and are these are these the same stories that are trying to like come up with a moral? Not always. Not even that. It's just a story. It's just a story. I mean, it's for entertainment. Yeah, yeah. So. I mean, I I do like I do like entertainment. I usually like for there to be a point. Not always, <laughs> but most yeah. of the time. It doesn't, it doesn't necessarily have to have a point. So the final reason we're going to talk about why Disney wouldn't adapt a story is because it's just too icky at its core. This is where I am going to put in that official trigger warning. Um, if you get really queasy at a lot of very touchy subjects, I would recommend skipping ahead, probably 10 or 15 minutes. Uh, and if you're okay, as long as you know what's coming up, you can expect us to talk about slaughtering people, incest. Uh, I might drop another one or two bombs there on you, but it gets real nasty real quick. Yep. Official warning. Official warning. A lot of these tales were told for the same reason as, for example, the Lindworm, which is entertainment purposes. Yeah. And I don't know who's getting entertained by these stories. They are real twisted, though. Yeah. (laughs) 
Okay, so I'm going to go into a few examples here because there's really no analysis for them. Right. It's just they kind of are. Yeah. Man, I don't even know where to start. Start with what would you say was the most shocking one? Ooh, okay. Uh, this one actually kind of makes my stomach turn a little bit. So the most shocking one is one called How Some Children Played Slaughtering Together. This is a tale that was included in the very first compilation of Grimm's Fairy Tales. Now, to understand why this was there, you actually have to understand that the Grimm's Fairy Tales were not originally intended for children. They were actually intended for adults, again, for entertainment Entertainment. purposes. When they got a second printing, they had an editor that said, you know what, this would be really great to give to families as long as we sanitize these tales a little bit and leave some out altogether. So How Some Children Played Slaughtering Together is one tale that was left out entirely. You can't sanitize it. No. You just can't. Well, look at the title. (laughs) Yeah, it's really bad. There's two parts to this story, and both are just kind of icky. The first part starts out with a bunch of children in a village who are playing pretend. And this is pretty much standard pretend that even kids nowadays play. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm going to be the baker, you're going to be the shopkeep, I'm going to be, you know, the mayor or whatever. Mm -hmm. They're playing at these different roles that you would see in a village. One of them decides to play the butcher and he needs a pig to slaughter. He slaughters one of the children, just like a pig. The... Town council is understandably shocked at this. So they take this like six year old kid and they're like, well, we don't want to try him as an adult because we're not sure that he knows what he did. So what are we going to do? One of the council members said, well, I have an idea. Let's offer him either six gold pieces or an apple. If he takes the apple, it means that he's innocent, still has the mind of a child. You know, he wants the food. He wants the sweet food. If he takes the gold, then it means that he is corrupt. We can try him like an adult. The child takes the apple, which you would think is like, oh, okay, well, like small, slight sigh of relief. Yeah, I don't trust but it. But <laughs> he runs off laughing. Oh. And that's where it gets just so, so disturbing because, like, he knew what they were trying to do. He yep. knew that they were testing One him. One step ahead. He took the apple. He knew what he did. The second part of this is, uh, and it's unclear whether or not it's a separate story or if it's the same characters, but basically it is two brothers, one older, one younger, are playing at this game, and the older brother slaughters the younger brother. Again, just like a pig. So sorry to be a little graphic here, but it is part of the story, and it comes into play in a minute. Uh, The older brother does slit the younger brother's throat and leaves the knife in his throat. The mother is bathing her younger son, youngest son, uh, when this happens. She hears the commotion, goes out to see what's going on, sees that the older brother has murdered the younger brother, and in her rage, takes the knife out of the younger brother's throat and kills the older brother. Oh my god. Upset at what she's done, she then takes the same knife and kills herself. Well, guess what happens to the youngest brother? Is he still in the bath? He's still in the bath and he drowns. Oh my gosh. What kind of story is this? (laughs) This is a messed up story. Jeez. Yeah. 
then the father comes home and sees all of this, and guess what he does? He probably kills himself. Yeah, he kills himself because oh everybody gosh. in his family is dead. The end. Oh, fairy tales, happy endings. <laughs> nope. <laughs> nope, not always. So that was a grim fairy tale. Yes, that was. Jeez. Yeah. Why? <laughs> question isn't it i mean i guess i i guess they kind of later so was it the grim brothers that omitted it from future like stories or was it no it was usually an editor or the printer okay who, who omitted it yeah wow yeah it's just is there a moral or is that another just entertainment for entertainment's it's sake just i think it's like it's kind of like, it kind of seems like gore porn a little. Yeah, I think people told these stories for the same reason why people to go see the Saw movies. That is exactly what came to mind. It's it's just... Let's see how, um, let's see how nasty it can get. Yeah, yeah. I feel a little gross having told that story. Yeah. I felt gross having to research it, but You know, it I exists. understand why. <laughs> yeah. The final icky story that I'm going to talk about is actually, I don't know. Maybe sort of the least icky, depending on how you look at it. This is the tale of donkey skin. Okay. I have been warned about this one, actually, a few times. Um, she's just... <laughs> if the name alone isn't enough... Okay, I'm just going to let you go. Okay, all right, <laughs> fair enough. In this story, there is a king and queen, and they are very happy together. Uh, but Not for long. As, as fairy tales go, the queen gets sick. And on her deathbed, she tells the king, I do want you to find happiness again, but only on the condition that you wed someone who is as beautiful or more beautiful than I am. Yeah. I just... Another weird <laughs> Another... specific condition. Yeah. <laughs> the king is like, yeah, okay. Like I'm going to absolutely follow my dying wife's wishes to a T. He looks and he tries to find someone in any kingdom anywhere who is as or more beautiful than his deceased wife. Nothing comes up for him. Like, his wife was just the most beautiful person in the world. Yeah, tough. Uh, well, it turns out that in the years that he's been looking for a new wife, his daughter has grown up oh, no. and become a beautiful young woman. Oh. In fact, as beautiful or more beautiful than his deceased wife. So he Spitting says, image, you might say. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. He says, well, close enough. <laughs> gotta do what I gotta do. And he then betrothes himself to his daughter. Yeah. Well, she is not super chill with this. No. So she sets forth a series of challenges for him to accomplish before she agrees to marry him. They're supposed to be impossible challenges, but he meets them. Ugh. And finally, she says, well, I, I really got to get the heck out of Dodge. She ends up disguising herself in an animal skin, usually a donkey skin, and goes usually, off. So there's several versions? Uh, there's a few different versions, yeah, but it's usually a donkey skin. So she sets off to a neighboring kingdom to basically just get away from her dad. And she poses as this, like, basically really smelly homeless person. And she's given, she's given a job in the kitchens of a nobleman. And kind of in Cinderella fashion, he holds a ball. He's looking for someone to marry. She sheds the donkey skin and becomes the beautiful princess for just brief moments of time mm -hmm. so that she can go to the ball. And he tries to find her and 
in the end, he finds her and they get married. So she avoids that sort of icky situation. Yeah. So it ends up pretty good. Okay, but, yeah. Um, like, to get to that ending point, you have to wade through a whole lot of just really uncomfortable moments of... Oh, like this dude, is my dad. Dude, what? That's your daughter. But like, she's beautiful. Okay. <laughs> he has to follow through. Yeah. Yikes. Yeah. At this point, if you're trying to skip ahead to try and find the point where we're not going to talk about the icky stuff, uh, I'm done talking about the icky stuff. We're done. We're done. Yay. Well, not with the podcast. No, but like, yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> There's actually a lot more that I want to talk yeah. about. Yeah. Are there, are there some old fairy tales that you'd like to see um, adapted into future Disney movies now? Uh, there's a couple that I think Disney could pull off. The first one that comes to mind is a tale called The Goose Girl. And it's actually already pretty family friendly. Okay. That sounds really cute. Yeah. <laughs> it is actually a really cute story. It would get a treatment kind of the same way that Snow White did, where there's a couple parts that you want to leave out just because they're uh, they're a little uncomfortable, but they're not important to the story. Right. The main character's horse, for example, is killed in the first act, and the villain gets a pretty nasty punishment in the end. But like those are really the only nasty parts to mm-hmm. it. So the story is about a princess who is betrothed to a prince in a neighboring kingdom. But since she lives in a patriarchal society, the wedding happens in his kingdom, not hers. Boo. So she has to make the long journey across the country to meet and wed her fiancé. Right. On the journey, her lady-in-waiting reveals her true colors and threatens the princess with death if they don't switch places. Oh my. Mm-hmm. Intrigue. <laughs> yes. So afraid for her life, the princess agrees and takes an oath not to talk to anybody about this. They arrive at the kingdom, the lady-in-waiting, dressed like a princess, and the princess actually dressed in rags. The princess gets a job herding the king's geese, hence the name of the tale, The Goose Girl. Mm-hmm. But because this is a fairy tale and princesses are inherently special, yes. strange things happen to protect her from those who would harm or even just mildly inconvenience her. <laughs> so one of the other servants of the king gets pretty upset by this and tells the king as much. The king summons the goose girl and asks for her story. Still, the king, uh, this king being the one that she was supposed to marry, right? No, this is the father of the prince that oh, she was supposed to marry. All right. Yeah. Still under oath that she wouldn't speak about the little switcheroo. She doesn't tell the king, but the king sets up a situation where it's like, well, if you talk to a brick wall, you're not breaking your oath, right? <laughs> and if I just happen to be on the other side of this brick wall. <laughs> Master of loopholes. <laughs> yeah. So she talks freely about her situation and he learns the truth. The lady-in-waiting is then punished for her treachery, and the real princess weds the prince. Oh. Yeah, it's pretty it's a cute. Really sweet story. It's got a lot of Cinderella-type yeah, uh, undertones. It, it, it seems like pretty much your quintessential Disney princess story, just a different setting, different name, mm-hmm. different, you know, not even really different situation, just like maybe different animal. <laughs> sure, yeah. <laughs> Even though this story has a lot in common with Cinderella, I think it actually has a lot of elements to it that they could really expand and make it into its own story. Because, for example, the background, I think, is a lot more engaging rather than, you know, Cinderella's background being, oh, my parents are dead. Right. <laughs> like, she is a legit princess, mm-hmm. and she is stuck in a situation where 
you know, she is kind of a Cinderella character. Yeah. And she has to deal with that. And second, it has a lot of room to have the princess interact with lots of people that would treat her differently if they knew she was a princess. Right. Like, you know, people showing her their true colors and whatnot. Exactly. So I think that that could be, like, a really interesting story where, you know, maybe she ends up not wanting to be the princess because she sees how stuffy royal life is and, you know, she experiences freedom. Yeah, like, maybe kingdom. maybe the prince shows his true colors to her and she's just, like, realized maybe she dodged a bullet a little oh, bit. Oh, yeah. No, I'd love to see a story where maybe, like, ooh, maybe we're, like, the prince and the lady-in-waiting are, like, kind of the same person and maybe the prince knows about the lady-in-waiting's treachery and he's, like, ah. okay with it. But when the scheme is revealed, they both get banished, and and the she goose wins. girl, the goose girl, marries maybe the more age appropriate, handsome younger prince. Yes, <laughs> yes, happy endings for goose girl. Yeah, I would. I'd watch that. Yeah, so I really like that story. Mostly just because the name is so cute. <laughs> it really is mm, goose girl. <laughs> Um, and I, I do have to admit at this point that we've been very Eurocentric here. Yeah. Extremely Eurocentric, which is really Oh, I'm awful. I didn't even notice. (laughs) (laughs) No, it's something that I ended up noticing, like, later than I would like to admit as I was doing this research, because I was like, Grimm's Fairy Tales. Yeah. And then it wasn't until I actually got to the library that I noticed that they have a whole lot of different sections for fairy tales from throughout the world. Absolutely. And I was like, oh, crap. Like, I've really got to look into a lot of this. Yeah, there's a lot to cover. Yeah, and I think Disney has kind of shown that they can pull off a movie based off of non-European lore really well with Moana. And I'd actually really like them to do more things like that. Oh, yeah. Um, Maui is an actual, like, Polynesian god. And as I was researching that... The song You're Welcome, he talks about like all of these things that he's done for mankind yeah. and humanity. Like that is one hundred percent accurate to the tale oh, how of funny. Maui. Like it's so, so heartwarming to see like really good representation there. Do you know if most of these international fairy tales are written down or if it's more of an oral tradition? So there are a lot of oral traditions. Most of them are oral traditions, especially when you talk about tales coming from, for example, the African continent. Most of the people that have lived on that continent for a very, very long time were nomadic in nature. So libraries weren't exactly a thing. But it's not to say that we can't get some really interesting tales from them. For example, there is a character that I would love to see in in some sort of kid's adaptation called Anansi. He is popular in both African and the Caribbean culture, actually, because of the slave trade. So uh, boo on that. But also, eh, it's kind of interesting how it spread. Yeah. He's um, known for being kind of like a chaotic good or even chaotic neutral sort of character. (laughs) I love that you use that term. (laughs) Audrey is a big, um, I don't know if you would say big, but Audrey is a... Dungeons and Dragons player. That's where that's yeah. from, right? It is from Dungeons and Dragons. So it's, <laughs> but it's like, it's probably the most. It's such a useful thing. <laughs> like to categorize, yeah, to just, if you don't know who the characters are, just to put them in mm-hmm. this category, you understand their motives and stuff. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, he's not evil. I mean, that's the point is that he's not evil, but he definitely has a streak in him that you're just like, why are you doing the things that you do? (laughs) And as it turns out, um, it's because he's a bit of a trickster. He has an interesting set of morals and wisdom that sets him apart from other characters because he knows every story in the world. 
And so because of that, like he kind of uses that knowledge of tales and stories to manipulate certain situations to his advantage. Okay. In a sense, it's also really bad for him because he sees himself as like the most clever being in the world. And so his ego is sometimes his downfall. Oh, yeah. But he does genuinely want to help those around him who need his help. Yeah. He's a really interesting character. That's my favorite kind of hero. Mm-hmm. It's the one that gets in his own way. Yeah. 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 And that's why I think he'd be really interesting to have some sort of adaptation made about him. Absolutely. And you don't have to choose a specific story. There are a lot of specific folktales surrounding Anansi, but he's kind of sort of transcended the confines of storytelling and become mm-hmm. just... His own kind of legend. Yeah. 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 He's most often portrayed as a spider. You know, spinning stories and whatnot. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) But sometimes he's portrayed as a man with spider-like features. If you want to get your Anansi fix right now, because I've sold it so well, I I would recommend picking up Neil Gaiman's American Gods or Anansi Boys. They're both full-length novels. Anansi doesn't really feature too prominently in American Gods, but he does play a pretty decent role in that book. And then obviously Anansi Boys... It's about him and his sons, so mm-hmm. that would feature him more prominently. Or if you hate reading, you can actually watch the new Stars series that they're doing based off of American Gods. And in this series, Orlando Jones plays Anansi, and Orlando Jones is just super great. Like, I like him a lot. <laughs> I mean, that was my <laughs> non-sponsored uh, promotion. <laughs> promotion for the new Stars <laughs> series American Gods but and in all actuality I haven't watched it but I do really want to see it because yeah. the cast is just like so freaking good. Yeah. It's amazing. Awesome. Yeah, I think Anansi would be probably a good good character for I mean not necessarily Disney but but a new like just a new story. Yeah, if if you're going to tackle a new story and a new culture, I think that's a great starting point. Well, and like you said because it's not he's not rooted in one story or one like fairy tale, you could really just go with it. Mm-hmm. You could take, you know, the basics of the character and his situation and just kind of roll. Mhm. That'd be yeah. really cool. Yeah. One of the other ones that I want to talk about is China's Journey to the West. China's Journey to the West is actually probably one of the most popular stories ever told in China. And it's really sad that most Americans have never heard of it. I haven't. Like, if you go to the Wikipedia page and you look up all of the film adaptations that have been made in China, like, I don't think that there's any American story that has been adapted as often as as Journey to the West has been for China. Wow. It's one of China's four great novels, and in it, a Buddhist monk named Zhuangsheng travels to India so that he can bring back a better translation of Buddhist teachings to China. In the story, he is joined by a few companions, and the story is pretty fun. It's pretty episodic, where usually one of the party gets kidnapped, and then the others try to have to figure out how to rescue that person. There's usually demons involved, and it's a pretty campy story. Throwing some demons there. (laughs) Yeah, sure. Why not? I mean, if you're going to go, like, full mythology. Right. (laughs) American audiences might actually recognize one of the main characters. His name is Sun Wukong, and he is the Monkey King. So if you ever see in, uh, I don't know, just anything, 
where there's a Chinese character that is the monkey king. He's usually carrying a staff. He often is portrayed as having shape-shifting powers. Mm -hmm. Uh, That's his origin, is Journey to the West. And he's actually, like, one of the most popular characters possibly of all time. Like, if you're going to talk relative to, like... like, in history. The people who love this character. Yeah. Like, he is just insanely popular. Much like Anansi, he is a bit of a trickster. He does kind of want to be good... But he also suffers from extreme hubris. Right. And so... Good isn't, it, good isn't his main objective. Exactly. It's yeah. a side product. <laughs> yeah. So, for example, uh, I remember growing up, there was the Saturday morning cartoon Jackie Chan Adventures. Oh. And Wukong actually makes an appearance in that. He plays an antagonist in a few different episodes. Um, and I remember growing up, like, it drove me crazy. Those were actually my least favorite episodes. But... Now, looking back at it, like, knowing the background, I'm like, oh, okay, like, here is a show that has Chinese characters that genuinely wants to introduce Chinese culture to the kids that are watching this Saturday morning cartoon. So I really appreciated that. If you've ever watched the movie Forbidden Kingdom, that's another American movie, it has Jackie Chan and Jet Li. So if if you want to watch a good Kung Fu movie just to have a good time, like I would recommend watching that. Yeah. You know, Kung Fu movies. I, I don't think I, I don't think I've seen one Kung Fu movie. I, I personally, I guess, I don't know. I personally don't understand the draw. I guess it's just, it's, it's another kind of like action genre, isn't it? You know, Mm -hmm. and action is just not really, it's not really my vibe, but I do like Jackie Chan. Yeah. Yeah, and Jackie Chan is just so very quintessentially Jackie Chan in this film. A goof. And yeah, Jet Li is also just really great all the time. (laughs) Uh, And the story does have... um, Part of the plot is based off of Wukong's kind of origin story. Because he actually started out as a celestial being. He was in, for lack of a better term heaven with like the heavenly emperor he was part of that heavenly court and he actually got kicked out because of his hubris and the emperor was just kind of like hey we need none of this so how about you take your butt on down to earth and hang out there for a bit Hmm. yeah spoiler alert for people who have not seen this movie that's probably almost 10 years old at this point (laughs) (laughs) jet lee is in fact a wukong Wow. Yeah. So it's it's a fun movie to watch. So, like, he does pop up in American culture every once in a while, but um, I think that if filmmakers were willing to just take the characters and kind of do a campy, like, almost Scooby-Doo-style adventure with sure. these characters and they be like... They could pull it off. I think they could pull it off. The text that they come from, Journey to the West, is primarily to talk about Buddhist teachings but it's not... It's not, like, uber-religious. Yeah, it's not super, super religious. Yeah. So I, I think that... And, and given how many adaptations it's already had anyway, I don't know that we necessarily run the risk of offending a whole lot of people. Right. Um, again, it's just kind of one of those things where, like, okay, like, maybe we wouldn't offend people for the religious aspect, but, like, what about the cultural aspect? Right. Do we want to appropriate something that really does belong to the Chinese And, culture? like, how do you how do you even get permission to do something like that anyway? Right. Who do you ask? <laughs> well, and that's just is that you don't have to ask anybody. Yeah. But also give him that 
uh, China actually makes up a huge, huge part of the movie-going audiences internationally. If you could do something, or if American filmmakers could do something that would appeal to them as well as American audiences, it would do extremely well in oh, the box yeah. office. Oh yeah, it would just break all sorts of records. I'd be, I'm, I'm, I'd be super interested in that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and there's a whole bunch of other characters that are in that story that don't get as much love as I think that they deserve, and unfortunately. For time reasons, I'm not going to give them love either, yeah. but... Read it for yourself. Yeah, read it for yourself. Um, so as an adult, how would you... How do you get your fix for fairy tales without re-watching old Disney movies or rereading old fairy tales all the time? Or do you? <laughs> <laughs> Fortunately, there is an abundance of authors who also share an interest in fairy tales. So I read a lot of adaptations of fairy tales Mm -hmm. that are more geared towards adults. Mm -hmm. Robin McKinley is an author who pretty much deals almost exclusively in fairy tales and fairy tale-like storytelling. Uh, She is easily my favorite author, and just every single one of her books, I think, is just... Like, there is no bad place to start if you want to start reading Robin McKinley. But she wrote what I feel is like the definitive version of Beauty and the Beast uh, in the book called Beauty. She also wrote uh, award-winning The Hero and the Crown, which does have a lot of very fairy tale like elements to it. It's an original story. Mm-hmm. Um, it is found in the young adult fiction, but I think it has a lot of elements to it as well as a writing style that adults can feel comfortable reading without feel like they're dumbing themselves down. Sure. That's a really good s- story. Most recently, I read a book that she wrote called Chalice, And it is absolutely fascinating to read from a technical perspective because she takes the idea of show, don't tell to its absolute extreme. So you are plopped into the middle of this story and you're like, what's going on? What's going on? What's going on? And you can't even piece it together until like the third act of the Mm -hmm. story. It is so, so good. But it has a lot of fairy tale elements to it where the land itself is magical. And in order for it to function well, there's this group of people that have to play these specific roles and they're all magical and there's like rights and there's customs that they have to follow in order for their land to function properly. Mm-hmm. Neil Gaiman, I think I've mentioned him uh, already this podcast when talking about a Nazi, but He's kind of sort of the king of fairy tales. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) He wrote a book called The Ocean at the End of the Lane, Mm -hmm. which is, it's short. It's less than 250 pages. So it's a really easy afternoon read. It's been described by a lot of people that I've talked to who've also read it as just like a grown up fairy tale. It's about a man who goes back to his childhood home. And while he's there, he visits these neighbors that he vaguely remembers. And as he's there, he actually remembers more and more of his childhood that he blocked out, including this incident where he basically deals with a demon. And these neighbors that he's visiting are a bunch of witches. Ooh. Yeah. And they help him defeat this demon and and kind of... It's a coming of age story. Yeah. It really is because he's he's a young boy that when this awesome. incident happened. I would recommend it. Like that would be my homework for the week to assign is is read the ocean at the end of the lane. The ocean at the end of the lane. Mm-hmm. Got it. Yeah. And I think I also really want to mention a book called The Darkest Part of the Forest by Holly Black. 
And the reason why I want to mention it is because if you like fairy tales and you like fairies specifically, like this book is just chock full of the politics of fairy fairy kingdoms, which most people don't realize it, but it was like a huge part of kind of the middle ages of storytelling is that you knew that there were fairies and you knew that there was the king and the queen of fairies and the fairy court. And so there's all of these politics and the darkest part of the forest takes place in modern times, but it takes place in an area where for whatever reason, it's just more magical than the rest of the country. And so all of these fairies and all of these fae exist. Changelings exist. Like Now, of- now when you say like, like fae's and fairies, like... Those are kind of like the creepy ones, right? Yeah. So did you ever watch Pan's Labyrinth? Yes. Yeah. So that is a very traditional fairy aesthetic in that movie. (laughs) Yeah. So as an adult, if you like the darker aesthetic of the fairy tale scenes in Pan's Labyrinth, then this is a really great story. Um, It doesn't get too, too dark, but it definitely involves a lot of different creatures. It involves the king of the fairies. It involves a fairy prince. Yeah. So that one was called the darkest, the darkest part of the forest. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we have the darkest part of the forest and the ocean at the end of the lane. The ocean at the end of the lane, and pretty much anything by Robin McKinley. Yeah. yeah, I'm super interested in that. I, you know, I remember reading my mom's copy of like Grimm's fairy tales. It must have been edited because I just don't remember <laughs> any of. I don't yeah, remember anything that you just told me. <laughs> um, but you know, it's it's a little. It's a little old now, you know, I don't enjoy it as much, but I'm, I don't know, I'm glad that there are still people that are making, like, original fairy tales and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. Like and... So I can really appreciate that there are authors out there who are still trying to tell fairy tales specifically for adults, and actually the reason for that, uh, and the reason why I think adults still really appreciate fairy tales, it, it kind of reminds me of a quote by a man named G.K. Chesterton, and you may have heard it before. He said, fairy tales do not tell children the dragons exist. Children already know that dragons exist. Fairy tales tell children that dragons can be killed. Mm. And even though he says that applying to children specifically, I think that's something that adults, especially young adults in particular, really need to hear. Like, you leave high school and all of a sudden you realize, like, you may have been dealing with what you thought were dragons, but mm-hmm. they were like lizards compared to the things that you have to face as yeah. an adult. You never stop needing like that little boost of confidence or that story that just kind of like, I'll, I'll be like such and such, you know, and I'll beat the dragon, you know, I, I think it's, I think it's incredibly, it's incredibly useful to have, have those kind of inspirational fairy tales for adults as well. Cause yeah, you just never stop dealing with hardship. It changes. But it doesn't go away. Yeah, yeah. And being able to, I mean, not only experience that little bit of escapism that you get when you read fantasy, but yes. also relate with characters who are going through hard things mm-hmm. and seeing them get through it is really encouraging. Absolutely, it is. Yeah, and so I, I guess, I mean, that kind of boils down exactly why I still love fairy tales. I mean, it's not just the nostalgia factor of I grew up reading a lot of fairy tales. It's also, I still appreciate what they do for me. Yeah, absolutely. They're touching and they're inspirational and they're just, they're really beautiful. 
They have happy endings, most of them. <laughs> most of them. Yeah. The ones that I mentioned do. Yeah. Uh, some of them are maybe not the happy endings that you were expecting. Yeah. But they're still... We don't all get that satisfaction of everything being wrapped up nice and mm-hmm. neat um, in all of our life experiences anyway. So some of these tales are, are a good representation of that. Absolutely. So. Anyway, um, yep, until next time, my name's Carmen Thorley. And I'm Audrey Stratton. And this is Kitten Whiskers and Kanye.